0: Two weeks ago, talking about the church as the bride of Christ, and 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 if we are to think of ourselves as the bride whose husband is away, and he's gone away to prepare this place for us, uh, we need to 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 work diligently until he returns, taking the what he has given to us and multiplying it, magnifying him, just like that that Proverbs thirty one woman, that kind of bride, someone who is industrious, somebody who is who is uh, building for the purpose of blessing her family and those uh, those around her. Uh, Christ is our King. He's our Husband. Uh, He has created and redeemed the church through his own body and blood sacrificed. And so our allegiance to him is not given out of duty, but out of love and devotion. Today we're going to look at another metaphor, the body of Christ, um, which is also... Uh, compared to what the church is supposed to be, and I think it's interesting that he uses the, in, the the metaphors that he does use and the ones he doesn't use doesn't use pyramid with you know your pastor at the top or Josh at the top. you know somebody like that but, or he doesn't use a bus. maybe you 've heard different preachers use a bus in comparison with with the church it 's not a bus, and if you don't have a seat, you need to get off the bus, get a, get the bus is going to run over you. he doesn't use those metaphors. Um, I just have to kind of pause and and say, uh, just from hearing Josh last week, uh, what a wonderful job he did, uh, expositing this passage, uh, the first part of chapter four. And and it's a real privilege for me to uh, sit under his teaching, um, as I know many of you feel that way, too. How great it is, as I I think about uh, having someone like Josh to partner with, that I can sit in the pew and I can hear the word of God and I can apply it to my life. And I go, man, that God, thank you for that. Thank you for putting us together. Um, and as he was preaching on unity, one of the battlegrounds of the church that we're called to defend, he did a, he did a great job of honoring me by bringing to light and bringing clarity to what I brought two weeks ago summing it up and kind of taking that and moving forward and so I want to do that same thing today I want to kind of take what Josh talked about last week and preach uh, as in the same way uh taking what Paul says in Ephesians uh 4 7 through 16 and just kind of adding that to because the, the the train of thought continues here and and so so that's that's our purpose today that's what we want to do um Let's do a little bit of review because we're kind of in the middle of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, uh, Paul starts talking about right away to the church in Ephesus about all the spiritual blessings that they have in Christ, that they are chosen, that they are loved, that they're predestined, that they're adopted as sons, that they have salvation and redemption, forgiveness of their trespasses. And God has lavished all of this upon them with grace by revealing the mystery of his will. And that's the gospel. And then he prays for them. He finishes chapter 1 with this prayer for them that they would know God more and more. And that's, that's, that prayer still applies today. We have this infinite God, right? And though we might know something about him, there's still more and more for us to learn and understand. Chapter two, he begins to talk about how we're dead in our trespasses and sins. How God made us alive with Christ, and then he's taking, uh, he's making peace between Jews and Gentiles, and he's he's tearing down the wall of hostility, and he's making them one man, one person, making them one temple that God is going to dwell in. Uh, he, t- he talks about them being like stones built in this in this uh, temple. Uh, on the foundation of the prophets and the uh, of the apostles and the prophets in chapter three paul explains the mystery of the gospel how god is displaying to the rulers and authorities his manifold wisdom through the church the church is his idea the church is his his answer for how he's going to redeem the world and those who are his And, and and he almost throws it into the face of of his enemies this is, this is my wise plan. And you didn't see it coming and it's going to confound you and it's going to burn you. It's going it's to really bother you because it is going to be victorious. Now, uh, he says uh, in verse chapter four where, where, where Josh was last week, the practical dos that come out of Paul's instruction. Uh, in the first three chapters. And the general principle that Paul gives is walk worthy of your calling. You heard that last week. And do it with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain or preserve or guard the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now I drew a connection, uh, I draw this connection of the spiritual conflict already starting to be He's forming this idea of enemies and this is our calling because when he gets to chapter six, it's obvious he's talking about spiritual warfare. So unity becomes one of these things, one of these places where we are to fight, where we are to stand, where we are to hold ground. And the devil and his evil forces are seeking to destroy that very thing, the unity of the church, uh, because it's a constant reminder, again, of the manifold wisdom of God that he has used to triumph over them. So, Josh has read our passage, and I'm going to break this passage up into four parts. So keep your Bibles open right there. The first part is uh, verses 7 through 10, where Christ gives each believer, each member of the church, a gift. Okay, we're going to see that. Verse 11, he's going to, Christ also gives a, a gift to the church of leaders and teachers. In verses 12 through 14, he explains why Christ is doing this. What is the purpose? to equip and to build the body. And then verses 15 and 16 is the result. The result is is a healthy and growing body of Christ. So let's look at that first one, verse uh, verse 7 through 10. Christ gives each believer or member of the church a gift. He starts with this, verse 7, but grace was given to each one. Okay, So before, last week, Josh was talking about our oneness. We have one faith, one baptism, one Lord over all. Lots of one, how we're united. From the beginning of verse 7, he says, but grace was given to each one, introducing diversity among our unity. And it's not a, a diversity of... Sa- is it moving away from sameness, which is what our whole culture wants us to be, is just exactly the same. No distinction. All roles just kind of rolled up into one thing. But but God in his, in his wisdom is making us diverse, which is going to, to make us one. It's going it's to build up our unity. He says, um, he, but to each one is, was given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, this is kind of confusing um, so it's is is it are we given grace, and then is is the gift what is the gift of Christ that's there? Um, in the Greek, you can read this as, but to each one of us was given a grace gift according to the measure from Christ. Now, how do I get there? In the Greek, there's a little small little word uh, that is the definite or indefinite article. In English, it's the or a, we use it all the time to specify things that are like, um, like this is uh, the piece of paper, right? I want you to see this piece of paper, but I could say uh, this is a piece of paper, meaning it's just, it's one of many, right? In the Greek, it doesn't do that. In the Greek, the article kind of points to specific things, and in this, in this line right here, the the is added before grace, but to each one of us is given the grace, all right? But it's not really the, you don't really say it. I know this is confusing, but what it does is it points to gift. It points to gift, the other noun that has an article as well. And so you put them together, but each one of us has been given a grace gift according to the measure of from Christ, Christ being the source, okay? So now that I've kind of un- unraveled that there, the, the word for grace here is, is, um, is dorea, which is a general term for gift. I'm, I'm sorry, grace is charis. <laughs> the term for gift here is dorea, which is just a general sense of, of gift. It points to something being undeserved. So it goes really great with grace. Unmerited favor. We're, we're given this grace, we didn't deserve, so we're given this gift we didn't deserve. And, and it reminds me of Ephesians 2, uh 2-8, which we all probably know, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is this is uh, a gift of God, so that no one can boast, right? This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. So I I believe that Paul is using the same term here to to do a transition, to remind us of the the grace that we've been given in redemption, this gift of of salvation. And now he's gonna kind of change it using pivot on that same word to talk about a different gift that we have. Now, when I uh, was in middle school, there were two letters that I hated. I just hated these two letters. Um, they were the letters G and T put together and uh, some of my friends were gt They were gifted and talented, right and <clears throat> it, they would remind me of this fact often as they would talk about their Gt classes and how they were you know gifted and oh you you're not in that <laughs> yeah, I'm not in that I, I was Shocked as an adult how I I ran across that again as I had children and ran into parents who would remind me and talk about how their kids were GT, gifted and talented. And as a way, they probably didn't mean it that way, but that's the way I felt. I felt excluded. The wonderful news about uh, the church is that God has given everyone a gift. Every one of us is given a gift. And that's the, that is the message that I want you to hear today, is that you have a gift that God has given you. If, you are, have been, if your heart has been regenerated, if you have new life in Christ, you're also given a gift. Now, what are these gifts? And how would I define spiritual gifts? A spiritual gift is a supernatural ability to believers, given to believers by the Holy Spirit upon conversion to bless the church and to build it up. We talk about this a little bit more. Therefore, uh, they're outward focused. A gift that you're given, a spiritual gift, is not for you. It has been given so that you can bless the church. We're going to see that later. There are a diversity of gifts in the church. I mentioned that before. It's not about sameness. It's about things being different. The body has different parts. And sometimes these gifts relate to roles in the church. But sometimes they don't. Um, and they're given in different measures. So you may have the same gift as somebody else, but they may have a different measure than you do. You know, uh, Josh may have a, a different measure of a teaching gift than I do. That, that shouldn't make me jealous, but that, that is just, we have to understand, that's the measure that we've been given. There are some gifts that are more visible than others. But they are not inborn talents. They're not skills or aptitudes. Kristen just sent me a, a, a TikTok reel on Bethel Church and explaining how they had a class for, for teaching you how to have the gift of prophecy. And it was just, I mean, that alone was, I was just kind of rolling my eyes. But then they began to say, you know, all you have to do is, is just say whatever comes into your head. And if nothing comes into your head, just make something up. And I was just like, what? You know, one, there's, I mean, there's so many problems with that already, right? Um, I mean, The scripture tells us not to despise prophecy, but I feel like they were despising prophecy and making it despicable. Le- read in Jeremiah where he's, he's, he, he makes a prophetic uh, warning against those people who are prophesying out of their own dreams, out of their own mind. And God says, that's not, that's not from me. And then Jeremiah 29:11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're not what they're saying. So I think we need to be careful also because those people get stoned when they get, when they get it wrong. So you need to be careful. If you don't have that gift, don't exercise that and make something up. Paul gives us a a list of of spiritual gifts in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4.10. We find things like administration, the gift of apostoling, and we'll talk about that, or being an apostle, not being an apostle, but apostoling as a gift, the gift of discernment, the gift of evangelism, the gift of exhortation or encouragement, the, the, the gift of faith, the gift of giving and generosity, the gift of helps, the gift of hospitality, the gift of knowledge, the gift of leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, teaching, wisdom, healing. So this is the list that we're given. Often I hear people make up gifts, like the gift of auto mechanics, which is not a gift, not a spiritual gift. I need an auto mechanic, so if you know one, Please talk to me afterwards and let me know. Uh, but that's not uh, a gift of the Spirit. No matter how bad we need it, we can't just say, "Well, you have the gift of technology." It's not there. I would call that a gift of service, gift of helps. But Christ is giving these div- these diverse gifts in varying measure to promote spiritual unity and maturity, because everyone is essential. If it's diverse, and we all have different gifts, we need each other, every one of us. And you have value because you're needed. And he puts you in the church so that you can bless one another. The next section is is interesting. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, Paul is using a very obscure and difficult reference uh, back to Psalm 68, 18, where it says, and I will, I will read this, look at your, what you have there in, in Ephesians. He's, in, in Psalms it says, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord may dwell there. Okay, so this is a psalm, Psalm 68 is a psalm of triumph and victory. And God is being described as having descended come down to Sinai and then even more he descended to be with his people to travel with them through the wilderness and then defeat his enemies in Canaan and then ascend to Zion okay so that's what Psalm 68 is about and as he conquers his enemies the Canaanites he receives tribute from them because he's a conqueror right now There's a difference between gave and received there. And and some people blame Paul and say that he's misquoting the Old Testament. But I believe that Paul is not making a literal quote here. I believe that he knows that you're gonna see the difference and he's making a point here. Um, I love how uh, B.B. Warfield says, the Old Testament is a beautifully furnished room that is dimly lit. And that it is illuminated by the light of Christ in the New Testament. Not replacing the things that are there, but revealing the things that have been there all along. That's how the the Old Testament and the New Testament work together. And so I believe that Paul is doing that very same thing right here. He's referring back to the historic exploits of the Lord for his people. And he's saying Jesus is the same God, he's doing it again. This is pointing to the divinity of Christ being God. And Christ on the cross, victorious, receives faith from captives. Let me say that again. Christ on the cross, victorious, winning salvation for us, receives faith, not tribute from from rebellious people. He receives faith from captives and then he gives them gifts because he's not only a conqueror of sin and death and the devil, but he is a savior of men. Verse nine and 10 kind of parenthetically uh, make sure that we're tracking with him. He takes the language of ascending and descending and he further applies it to Christ. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth, the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things okay so what is what is this lower regions of the earth and the only reason that i bring this up and, and talk about it a little bit, teach on it is because weird false teachers take something like this and then they make it something crazy okay that that is not biblical you have three options here for what the the lower parts lower regions of the earth means either first it means that christ uh has descended to earth he has been incarnated That's the first option. The second option is that he, after he was crucified, that he was buried into the ground, okay? He descended below the earth into the ground and was buried. Or the third option is that he went to hell. Now, this is where it gets, it goes into crazy places, right? Where do we get that, right? Where do we get that? Christ descended into hell. Well, there's passages uh, in uh, 1 Peter um, that talk about um, Christ proclaiming to imprisoned spirits. 1 Peter 4, 6 says the gospel is preached to those who are now dead. Did Christ go to hell? The Apostles' Creed says he descended into hell. But that, that translation that we speak to one another, that we recite sometimes, uh, is from a single manuscript in 690, or not, I'm sorry, 390 AD. And, and the translation is off there from the Greek. That word hell is actually beneath. He descended into the beneath. So we don't have a definite, he went to hell. Although it really makes a great preaching point to say Jesus went to hell, so you don't have to. I mean, that'll preach, but I can't use that. Now, Joyce Myers used that, and she says that Jesus suffered in hell and suffered your torment there. And then in hell, he was born again and became three-quarters, the first born-again man, which is just so wrong. And yet they, they get that from this, from this passage here. Okay, so I want to clear that up. Christ, I I think going to to Philippians 2.6 actually helps us to let the word interpret the word, right? In Philippians 2.6, we see that when Christ, who was, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. And when he empties himself, he is not becoming less God. He's not... er, subtracting his divinity. He is adding humanity. He still remains God, just more complex God. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He descends, this is him descending to earth to accomplish your salvation on the cross. And then he ascends and it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We also see this in Daniel chapter seven as, as the son of man, one who is as the son of man is presented before the ancient of days and to him is given power and authority and a kingdom that will not end. Or Psalm 10 where God says, To his Lord, to Christ, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. But what Paul is wanting us to see in this is that Christ accomplishing our salvation on the cross, uh, saving us by grace through faith, forgiving our trespasses and sins, making a peace with God and satisfying his wrath and justice, making us blameless before him and adopting us to himself, is, uh, that's, that is what we've been given because of the cross. But he also gives us a gift of grace. And, and I, I want you to, to think about that when you think about your salvation. And he gives us this gift of grace not to make us proud, It's because it's not about self-promotion. It's a gift of grace, unmerited favor for you and for me, giving us a place in the body, a, a task and a role of value to bless One another. This not only does he give each believer or member in the church a gift. Verse eleven continues, and Christ gives the gift of leaders and teachers to the church. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, uh, these shepherds and the teachers. Uh, And so the, the word here at the very beginning and creates an, ad, an addition or a, an expansion on his previous thought. He's saying he's given individual gifts. Each one has a gift. And he's going to give apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. Now, some churches see this as the four- or five-fold ministry of the church. Perhaps uh, if you've ever been in a charismatic church or in a four-square church, they talk about the four-fold ministry of the Holy Spirit giving these gifts to the church that they should be uh, they should they are necessary and active for church government. Again, here's another passage that we have to give some explanation to because people take it into weird and crazy places. For example, the New Apostolic Reformation uh, places like Bethel, uh, and though their the, the, their music is really catchy. I really can't support anything that comes out of their church for this reason here. They teach that the apostles are present now and they have the same authority as the New Testament apostles. And this is really dangerous because these apostles that are walking around today have the authority to speak for God and interpret and even more change scripture so they can say now i know that paul says this but let me really tell you what he's talking about here and they can change it and they have in fact if you have the the passion translation of the bible if somebody gave that to you for christmas get rid of it because it is not the word of god they have changed it uh to 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 build up this position that they have apostles. Now, I said earlier that uh, there's a gift of apostling. What would that be? And, and if, if you, you read this and you interpret this and you say that these are gifts that are given, that you would see someone with a gift of apostleship would be somebody who is sent out, uh, someone who begins a new work, a new ministry, or a new church in the kingdom. And, and certainly that takes a certain gifting, you know? Um, I had one person question me about uh, my my resume and my how God has moved us from place to place, from church to church, and he says, well, you know, you, you really haven't stayed in one place for very long. Like that was a bad thing. And I told him, I said, you know what? I would have loved to put down some roots somewhere. I would have loved to to build equity in my home and to build wealth that way, staying in one place. I would have loved to clung to my friends that I had and just build those lifelong friends. I would have loved to have my kids grow up in the same community and not move them around. But that's not what God had for me. And that's not what God had for Paul. And as he says, He's an apostle. He saw Christ, but as one untimely born, right? He's kind of out of season. I wasn't like the other apostles. I'm unique. And he kind of is saying, I'm the last one that's there. Now, um, along with that, uh, the sign gifts, just to, since we're talking about spiritual gifts, there are some spiritual gifts that are, there's healing, there's miracles, there's there's different, uh, there's tongues, there's all these kind of supernatural type gifts that are, are in the scriptures, they're listed in the, the, the list, but are they still around? And I would say if there are no apostles, those, apost- those are apostolistic or apostolic, apostolic, thank you, apostolic gifts are gone too, right? And how would, I, how would I say that? If you go to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, you see the, them commenting about um, the, the wondrous and miraculous gifts that the apostles are doing. Um, if you go to 2 Corinthians, I'm just going to flip there, uh, tw- chapter 12, verses 11. Okay, verse 12, 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. He's, he's specifically talking about the signs and wonders that the apostles did. And for me, that, that's convincing for me, that, that those signs are probably not something that I'm going to, to have. Those gifts are not something that I'm gonna have. Now, also the same thing with, with the, the, the role of prophet, right? There were Old Testament prophets, right? And they had a certain role. Are those still around today? And I would say no. I don't think that those uh, prophets, Old Testament prophets are there. But the gift of prophecy, I do believe, exists. It's important how, that we define these, though. Because okay? they're different. So how would, would I define the role of a prophet today? I would say that a, a prophet um, is, is one who can properly declare and apply the word of God to our modern culture, calling people to return to Christ. They call to society and they say, hear the word of the Lord. And I would say modern prophets are like, Josh and I discussed, uh, Doug Wilson would be one. Uh, this other Truella guy that you guys have me listening to, I, I feel like he's a prophet, man. I, I listen to him and I go, man, he's just calling to, to culture to change. Uh, then he's given evangelists, shepherds and teachers. And and this kind of all kind of goes to evangelist, of course, someone who, who can proclaim the word and, and with power and people respond to the gospel and come to Christ. Shepherds and teachers, almost the same thing. there, almost synonymous. And I would say that those are pastors or teachers. The point here is that Jesus is giving leadership to the church to Teach and equip to unify and mature believers. Why? Because we need leadership. We need shepherds and teachers in his absence until he comes again. And we see ourselves as under shepherds. under Submitting ourselves to the authority of our head, of Christ. It's not that we're leading and just figuring out where we want to go. That, but Christ is giving us uh, our marching orders to take care of his church. These include uh, historic teachers in the faith. Uh, Luther, Calvin, uh, the Puritans, including Jonathan Edwards. Man, we can learn from them. In more modern times, R.C. Sproul is just, I just, I learn a lot from him. Let's move on. Let's see. 7 through 10, Christ gives each believer, a member of the church, a gift. Verse 11, Christ gives the gifts of leadership and and teachers to the church. Verses 12 through 14, Christ gives gifts for a purpose, for equipping and building, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, or the word there is service, ministry or service, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the the waves and carried about by the, every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Why? Why does he give us the gifts? I've already said this. Leaders are given to equip you, the body, for the work of ministry, Show, showing you how you plug in, how you fit in the body, how you use your grace gift to build up the body of Christ. That's our job. And the end result is this. So picture this, right? Picture the church as it exists, with division. Picture it attaining the unity of the faith. Wow. How is that going to happen? With, with a full knowledge. That, that word there is epigenosis in the Greek, so they put epi on the, on the front of it to say it's not just knowledge, which is gnosis. it is a full knowledge of Christ, Growing like a person grows to maturity, to manhood or to womanhood. That's the the word in the Greek for stature is talking about adulthood, talking about being a man who is of military age or a woman who is ready to be married. That's the that's the picture, and and it's contrasted with children. Right, we're not to be like children. He doesn't want his church to be childish. We're to have a childlike faith. But as it comes to these matters and in this context, I believe he's talking about spiritual gifts here that were not to be childish, that were to grow up and to be mature in this. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. What was he talking about? Spiritual gifts. All right. So I believe that there are deceivers, that there are enemies of God who exploit our ignorance about our gifts, who try and get in and and trick us to give up our unity and to fight against each other, to be jealous of one another. Children are gullible. They are easily fooled, and we're not to be like children. To combat these enemies, the church must Mature. It must grow to the full measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. We—I don't even know what that looks like. I don't think that that even exists in the church yet. But that's my—that's the desire of Paul: is that we would grow that, that strongly, that firmly in our faith. The last section, fifteen and sixteen. So Christ gives each believer each member a gift in the church christ gives the church the gift of leaders and teachers christ gives it for for a reason for a purpose to equip and to build up the body and then here in 15 and 16 we see a healthy and growing body of christ rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into christ from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint which is equipped which It is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. First word, rather. Rather than what? Rather than what these deceivers and these enemies of God are telling you. Rather than operating like the world. Rather than taking advantage of one another, being proud and self-exalting, being jealous, being divided, making comparisons... The church operates in unity and he gives us four ways right here. He says, speaking the truth in love. That's the first one. Now, when I usually hear that in a church setting, brother, I'm going to speak the truth in love to you right now. I kind of flinch or, you know, get ready to dodge because that usually means I'm about to communicate my truth without any love, right? Because I'm a truth teller. That's my gift, right? Words are powerful. Words can build up and words can tear down, especially when they're applied without sensitivity, when they're applied carelessly. The Greek word here is aletha, right? And Paul uses it in a participle here. That whole word speaking the truth is one word. It's truthing, truthing in love. What does he mean? He means we embody truth. We are truth to one another in love. When you, and, and this, this means that, that we are to be grounded in, in the truth, but we are to relate to one another using truth with all gentleness and love. When you speak to your wife, what does love require of your words? When you speak to your children, what restrictions does love put on your words? It's the same within the body of Christ. When we speak to one another, love constrains us and it empowers our words. This is, this is Christ's means of self-correcting his body. We were driving here this, uh, this morning and Kristen, uh, I'm just driving along, I'm thinking about the sermon and stuff like that. And Kristen spoke the truth in love to me. She said, you're about to get a ticket. And I looked down, and I was like, ooh, yes, I am. <laughs> now, I could have reacted to that, said, oh, you know, and been hateful and been angry, maybe attacked her personally, feeling like that was a personal attack against me. But she spoke it in love, and it was truth. Uh, I love this, uh, this quote from Vodi Bachman. He says, you and I are sinners. Moreover, we are self-deceived. We do not see ourselves accurately. Every one of us thinks of ourselves more highly than we ought. So we are in desperate need of brothers and sisters who will tell us the truth. More importantly, we need to be the kind of people who acknowledge that truth. So speaking the truth in love is not just delivering truth but it's also receiving truth as well. And I, I just really like that. The second thing, not just speaking the truth in love, he says growing up into every way into him who is the head. There is a direction that we are grow growing, okay? It is towards the head. It is seeking the direction of our head, which is Christ. The head gives direction to the body. The head is not a function that any one of us has. Not me, not Josh, not Chad, not Jake. It's Christ who is our head. And the body must grow in submission and dependence so that we can function properly. If we don't have a head as a body, it's a scary thing, right? It's a Halloween thing. It's, and plus, a headless body doesn't is dead. It doesn't work. The third thing, not only has he given gifts, uh, no, I'm sorry, not only has he said to speak the truth in love, this is how we operate, we're growing up into him who is the head, but the whole body holds itself together by the joint, by the contact, uh, this point of contact. Lanny asked me that this week. He goes, what do you think that is? I don't know. It could either be one of two things. It could either be that, that someone has the gift of holding people together, right, holding the body together. Or it could be that, uh, that this is something that we are encouraged to be, that, that God gives us these connection points as we fill different roles, as we have different gifts and we work together, that we discover that we are dependent on one another, that we can't just disconnect. We have to hold together. And then the fourth thing is that the body grows and it builds itself up in love. And I believe that this happens through our words again as we celebrate one another, as we encourage one another. This is a picture of the Trinity in perfect unity and community. As the Father exalts the Son and the Spirit. The Son exalts the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit exalts the Father and the Son. They're all celebrating one another. And this, man, I hope that this church can celebrate one another and how we function, how God has equipped us and given us specific gifts to summarize to summarize from Christ gifts are given according to his direction to, according to his design to his arrangement he is connecting work so that the whole body builds itself up in love through the design functionality the design gifting of each part. So application one man you're a gift to the church. You are a gift. God has made you a gift. He has sovereignly determined uh, that you should be here because he knows what the church needs. Therefore, you are valuable. You need to hear that this morning. It's not about a role that you're going to fill. It's about you being a blessing. So don't withhold your gift from the body. Don't think you're not needed. Every member has a function. And the Holy Spirit has placed you here and, and, and given you a specific gift. Second thing, uh, what gift has God given you? Do you know? How do you discover that? I think uh, there are these spiritual gift tests on the Internet. I don't put much uh, faith in them because I think you can uh, skew that thing based on what you want to be. Uh, so I would say the best way to find out what your spiritual gift is, is to serve. Is to plug yourself in, right? Notice what, what people say around you as they encourage you. They go, man, you're, you're a real blessing to me in this way. And start listening. Also pray, ask, God, ask the Lord. Say, could, you, could you let me know what my spiritual gift is? Could you show that to me? And just plug yourself in because that's the motivation of spiritual gifts is that they are pointed outwards. What if I don't see a place for my gifting. Maybe I I feel like I have a gift, but I don't see where it fits within Covenant Baptist Church. If that's the case, then we are missing a body part and we are compensating and overloading a different part. Um, So come to us, come to Josh, come to myself, talk to one another and, and, and see how we can fit you into the body. Okay, that's our job as pastors and teachers is to equip you for the work of ministry, get you plugged in. What if you'd say, Man, I am just exhausted. I hear what you're saying today, and I'm just like, I I just don't have any margin in my life to give. I had a mom tell me that one time when I preached this sermon earlier. And I, I just want you to know that there are seasons of life where your contribution may be small. It doesn't mean that you don't have something to give. Think of your life with a holistic approach. A church isn't just something that happens Sunday morning, but the church goes with you. And on a Tuesday and on a Thursday, you may you may do something. God may equip you or call you to bless the church. So think about it that way. And The last thing is that, man, if we're going to accomplish the mission of this church to to plant churches in northwest arkansas we're going to need redundancy okay so this is just a little bit of application kind of explanation because you're going to see this we can't have people in static roles in this church the same people can't be doing everything instead we need to learn how to replicate and equip uh, those who have similar gifts to than us so there's going to be other people who are going to be preaching from this pulpit not Josh, not Bart. Hopefully there's somebody else, another qualified elder who we're training up and we're getting him ready to go out and plant a church and he needs to get some reps in. He needs to be able to learn how to preach. And so you're going to see somebody else here and you may go, oh, wow, well, he's learning. That was a little rough. Um, but, and that's okay. There may be other people singing here. There may be other people who are, who are administrating. There are other people who are serving and we need to bear with them as they grow in their gifting and encourage them and disciple them into that. Uh, to close, it reminds, this, this whole sermon reminds me of the story of the boy in John 6. He had had two, two fish and five loaves. He could have said, man, I don't have much to give. I can't see how it's really going to solve the problem that we have here. Maybe I should just hold on to this so that at least I can eat. There's probably somebody else here who has, who has more. Somebody else who, can, who has more means to take care of this. No. No, what he did was he brought what he had to serve those around him. And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. One last thing. Uh, knowing about God is not necessarily knowing God. And it's possible for someone to go to church to know the Bible and be just like a Pharisee. And like Paul... Uh, before he encountered the, the risen Christ, he was he was on his way uh, to hell. And Christ may be calling you this morning to, to come to faith, to surrender your life to Him, to find forgiveness and redemption, to follow Him as your Lord. And if, if that 's where you are, and God is, is just calling you to do that, I, I encourage you to talk to me, talk to Josh after the service so we can tell you more about the gospel the good news that God has for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, uh, your word. Thank you for how you bless us with it. Uh, thank you for uh, the patience of these children uh, while I continue to talk on and on about your word because it is amazing and there's so much stuff that's in here. Thank you, Father, for feeding us this morning. Lord, we are your sheep and we need to, you to, to provide for us uh, what we need to grow up and be strong. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.